This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for the five-star reviews. And if you haven't already, it doesn't mean I'm not thanking you. I'm just delaying my thanks until you give us a five-star review. We are approaching 800. I looked this morning slash late this evening, which is when I'm recording this, and we're almost there. We're almost at 800. But if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know... 800 is child's play. We want to get to 1,000, 1,000 five-star reviews. And after that, we'll set a new benchmark after that. First, let's get to 1,000. So a lot of you have already done that. You leave great comments. You leave great feedback. So thank you so much for that. Got a jam-packed podcast this morning. If you're listening on Thursday morning, I'm recording it at about 2 a.m. Thursday morning. So it's really quiet around here. I got a lot to get to and we've got a jam-packed edition of Late Kick Live later tonight. We've got a lot of Big 10 stuff on there. We've got game predictions, we've got best bets. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a typical Thursday game week in a college football season, which I am so thankful for because I got a question actually coming up in this podcast about what would have happened if there wasn't a season. Ooh, that's me shivering just thinking about it. Terrible, terrible stuff. That's okay because it's purely hypothetical. We have the Big Ten starting. We got everything else already on our plate. Pac-12, not too far down the line. There's a light at the end of the tunnel there. So let's dive right in. Quick reminder, this is all Q&A. It's wall-to-wall. You ask, I answer. You can hit me, joshpate706 at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter. And I ask that you do that even if you don't have a question. At Late Kick Josh. Let's get to it. Brandon leads us off this morning. Brandon said a few weeks ago, someone asked a question on this podcast about whether or not the SEC East had caught up to the West. Can we now revisit that? Now that we're further into the season and more games have been played. Well, sure, Brandon. Yeah, you want it? You got it. We can revisit that. Now, if you guys are familiar with the way I like to do conference or division comparative analyses, which I'm hoping is the plural of analysis, I just like to seed the conferences or the divisions in this case. Number one versus number one is easy. We just saw it. Alabama over Georgia, number one versus number one. Now here comes the fun part. Number two versus number two. I would define that as Texas A&M at the moment versus Florida. We've seen that game. Now, granted, it was on a home field. The West has had home field advantage in both of these games. And while the Alabama game probably wasn't decided by home field, hey, in a three-point win, you could make the argument that A&M over Florida, it's a coin flip either way. So let's just say... Edge to the west with the one seeds. Let's call it even with the two seeds. Well, now we start to dig a little bit further. Where are we going after that? Who is the number three seed in the SEC West currently? And oh, by the way, for that matter, uh, who is the number three seed in the SEC East? You see how muddy this gets really, really quickly? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, Brandon. I'm going to kindly ask you, please give me a few more weeks on this. At the top, I think I lean the SEC West, and I would lean that way pretty solidly. But once we get to the middle tier, and I don't even know if we're separating the middle tier from the bottom tier. I mean, certainly we're not comparing 
uh, Auburn or, or to Vanderbilt per se, but my goodness, it gets really muddy after that. I, my answer is I lean SEC West only because of what I see at the top. Because right now, I mean, we just saw Auburn lose to South Carolina last week, you know, for example. So that mid-tier, that next tier, this weekend, we're going to see South Carolina go on the road to LSU. Like, who knows? LSU got spanked. Well, they got beaten, humiliating fashion, by the way, at the hands of Missouri, who had just gotten boat raced by Tennessee the week before. So uh, does that make Tennessee the number three in the East? Not so fast, because they just got housed in their own house by Kentucky. (sighs) All right, fun times. I don't know if I answered that. In fact, I know I didn't answer that. And to be honest, Brandon, I've never felt less secure four minutes into a podcast than I do right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna like fold my arms into my shirt like you used to do to stay warm in elementary school. And that's how I'm sitting here right now behind the microphone. As we move on to Tony's question, which I already mentioned once, Tony said, What would you have done if the college football season had been totally canceled? Tony, I thought about this. You remember the movie Armageddon, which is where the asteroid is headed towards Earth, and they're asking, you know, what's the plan B here? What is the contingency plan? And Bruce Willis is there at NASA, you know, as you do. He's been pulled off an oil rig in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and he is the only hope left on Earth to save it from total and complete annihilation. Armageddon, if you will. And so Bruce Willis says, what's the contingency here? And they say, oh, there, is, there isn't one. If the dude that we pulled off the oil rig in the middle of the ocean can't fly on a space shuttle with a few weeks' notice and land on an asteroid and drill to a depth of whatever number feet and put a nuke in there and blow the asteroid to smithereens, the world is going to cease to exist as we know it. And he just goes crazy. Bruce Willis is apoplectic. You're telling me all the money that we pay every year in taxes, and this is it? This is what you guys were able to come up with? That's how I felt when we were sitting in those editorial meetings and we were talking about contingency plans for if the college football season doesn't happen. I was Bruce Willis at NASA. That's how I felt. What is the contingency? I don't know. Bud, you got an idea? Barton, Luke, Trey, anyone? You got ideas? That was basically the editorial meetings for like a month. No one even wanted to talk about it. No one even wanted to broach the subject. It was like you knew it was the responsible thing to do, but yet anytime someone tried to mention it, it was kind of like a mouse's voice like, what are we going to do? And then everyone just shouted you down because no one wants to talk about what we're going to do. However, I did have a couple of ideas that were probably going to end up being pretty fun if you could have fun in a non-college football season during the fall. I don't even know what that feels like. None of us do. We've never lived through it. I did have some ideas. And to be honest with you, I don't want to even reveal them right here because they're pretty good and I don't want them stolen. And secondly, because I still plan on doing them. I just think we're going to do them between the end of the regular season and the end of bowl season and then the spring or maybe even next summer. So we've got some ideas, and it's going to involve coaches. So I've already spoken to coaches about this at the G5 level and Power 5 level. I think we have some fun things in the works. It's just that we'll get to do it without the backdrop being, oh, football, where have you gone? So thank the good Lord above for that. Third question this morning is from Peter. This can be a scary one too, depending on which team you're a fan of. Peter said, with all the NFL job openings beginning to emerge, the usual names come up, and I can't imagine why Lincoln Riley would leave Oklahoma, even with this year being what it is. Having said that, are there any other college coaches that seem more reasonable to make the move to the NFL this year or next? As a Buckeye fan, I dread the inevitable day Ryan Day leaves us for the league. I don't think it'll be this year, though. 
a Peter? Well, that's the first name that seems to come to mind outside of Lincoln Riley right now. Ryan Day is the first name that comes to mind. There were a lot of concerns up there, of course, when it looked like the Big Ten may not be able to get its act together and play a football season, that Ryan Day would just look around and say, screw this, man, I'm going to the NFL. Make a little bit more money there, but also, well, they're not going to cancel the season on me. And maybe maybe football's not appreciated here in the Big Ten nearly as much as I thought it was once upon a time. Well, luckily, we don't have to worry about that. Cooler heads prevailed, and smarter voices were heard, let's say. So, outside of those two, you know, another one that I think you have to look at in the Big Ten is a familiar name, and that's Jim Harbaugh. Every year that passes that you get further into the tenure of Harbaugh at Michigan, and every year that passes that you know you get further into, of course, him not being able to be at Ohio State, but also every year, and this could be a reversible trend now. The current trend, the current trajectory of their roster is downward a little bit. I've talked about this a few times over the past couple of weeks when we had the latest 24-7 team talent composite ratings come out, and I mentioned Barton did a piece on that, and one of the things that he pointed out there was... Some of these programs like Notre Dame, they've never been higher. Oregon, never been higher. Uh, Penn State, I think, had not been higher since that tool had been invent- or uh, introduced. But there was also the flip side. And the flip side was program like Michigan, they used to be number seven. Now they're number 17. It's not a fall off a cliff, but it's certainly not the way you want to be trending. And they have not had a stud quarterback up there. Thus, they have not been able to trade points with the big boys. Thus, when they've gone up against an Ohio State or even an Alabama, it has shown and it's been glaring. And so the concern kind of in the back of your mind is, you know, maybe maybe Jim Harbaugh is not built and maybe he hasn't put together a staff that's built to be an elite recruiting staff. Ohio State has. Maybe Michigan just doesn't do that. Maybe that's not in the cards. And maybe there comes a day where Jim Harbaugh either thinks to himself or it is mutually decided and agreed upon up there that maybe the NFL was the best route for him this whole time. I don't know. Like, I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying I I think about that. And I think a lot of people have to consider that when you're trying to project the future. I'll tell you another name that's well off the NFL radar. But if I were an NFL general manager, I would at least kick the tires on, even knowing some of the past baggage. And that is Steve Sarkeesian. Because if I'm watching college football and I'm watching what Alabama's doing, and I know that guy has been a head coach before, so he does at least have the taste for it and he wants to be one again one day, I would look at him and I'd say, who in the world is running things offensively at a higher level in the college game than Alabama? And I'm looking at him, and I'm imagining how seamlessly a lot of those concepts translate to the NFL level, and wow, look at what he's doing. He's maximizing the potential of everyone in that offense. Uh, He is running essentially an NFL offense there. All those offensive linemen are going to the next level. Several of those receivers are quarterback. Some of you don't think he is. I do. Running back. Like You are seeing a preview of what an NFL offense would look like under Sarkeesian. I'd kick the tires on him. And that's a little off the beaten path, but I'm telling you how I'd run my organization. Next up is John. Speak of the devil. Man, it's almost like I design it this way. Unfortunately, I don't. But just, just pretend otherwise. Pretend like I did it like this for a reason. John says, is it more likely that Mac Jones becomes the new Jalen Hurts, which means he would have to transfer after going to the playoff, or is it more likely that Bryce Young becomes the next Justin Fields, which means he can't get the starting job at Bama, so he transfers with Mac Jones potentially having another two years? Now, this was an interesting question, and um, let's break it down a little bit. So the first scenario here is 
you had Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts was a former All-SEC Offensive Player of the Year, whatever he was. He was 26-2 and as a starter, and he gets benched in lieu of Tuatonga Vailoa. Jalen Hurts transfers, goes off to Oklahoma. That could happen, and if that happened, then that would be Mac Jones having success at Alabama, but then Bryce Young overtakes him, uh, which certainly is not going to happen in the next few weeks. I think that's pretty obvious. The other consideration that John mentioned is, what if what happened at Georgia ends up happening here? You have an ultra-talented young guy. Then it was Justin Fields. Right now it's Bryce Young. And since Jake Fromm was in the way, or in this case, Mac Jones is in the way, what if the ultra-talented five-star freshman ends up transferring and they end up being a star somewhere else? Well, I have a third scenario here, and it kind of ties into my answer to the last question. My third scenario is, what if Mac Jones plays well enough to be drafted this year? No one wants to consider that. I keep reading articles and I keep reading different feedback and different analysis on Mac Jones. And I think a lot of people see, here's the way that the NFL draft culture works. If you have an opinion of a guy already before a season starts, and if your opinion is he is a future NFL guy, no amount of bad film in college will change your opinion of him. You'll find a way to explain it away. And you'll say, oh, he's got tools or he's got measurables or I love his football IQ. Once he gets on an NFL roster and his talent is comparable to everyone else, he'll shine. You'll make whatever excuse you need to. I've also noticed if you don't have a guy on your NFL radar at the quarterback position, you will find every reason not to buy into what you've seen. So here's what I do. What I do is I don't cover the NFL draft really first off. So I can just kind of throw out opinions on guys and I'm not really married to them. Like at the beginning of this year, I thought Bryce Young had probably push Mac Jones at some point this year. Right now, I don't think that. Mac Jones has surpassed everyone's wildest expectations. I look at that guy, I think you're crazy if you don't consider the possibility that NFL teams are going to take a look at him. I mean, maybe not top 10 or maybe not even first round, but have you seen some of the tomato cans that NFL organizations have wasted high-level draft picks on at the quarterback position? You're telling me Mac Jones isn't going to get a look? Especially when you consider the complete and utter desperation that exists in the NFL draft at the quarterback position? So how about he has such a good year this year, he gets drafted, and then Bryce Young ends up being a stud too, and all's well that ends well at Alabama. In fact, I don't mind if you put me on record right now as saying that's my most likely path that this whole thing goes. Young ends up being the starter next year because Mac Jones has gone to the draft and he is playing this game at a professional level somewhere this time next year. All right, Seth, next up as we roll on here this morning, Seth said, after Texas A&M won over Florida, I heard a lot about that win giving Texas A&M an identity. So in your opinion, what exactly does establishing an identity mean and how could it affect A&M's performance down the road? All right, Seth, so when, when I say this, I don't know about... Other people, when I say developing an identity or so-and-so, in this case, A&M is finding their identity, here's what I think it is. First off, it is knowing exactly who you are based on your roster's strengths and weaknesses. Got to know your roster, got to know where you're strong, got to know where your weaknesses are. Then you develop a team's philosophy based off that understanding of your roster and your personnel. And then, this is the most important part, or else it's all irrelevant, you got to have your entire team, your entire organization, buy into the concept of that philosophy. Once that happens, you could have a product that is greater than the sum of its individual parts. This is how, for example, in the past, you could see a team like Michigan State 
give a much more talented Ohio State fits. It didn't make sense on the surface. If you followed recruiting and only recruiting, those results sometimes just defied any kind of logic you could come up with. But there was no program when D'Antonio was up there at their peak playing more within their identity than the Michigan State Spartans were. Doesn't mean they were going to win a national championship. Their ceiling was below national championship level. But what they were capable of is they were capable of being a whole lot better as a collective than their individual parts would suggest they should be, only because they understood their identity. They knew what they were, they knew what they weren't, and most importantly, everyone was bought in. So then if you're Texas A&M, because you ask what could it mean for them, A&M does have a lot of talent. A&M can compete with the big boys. Now, they probably also exist below their ceiling being national championship right this second because we know what you need to have at quarterback, and I don't think they have it at quarterback. But what they can do is they can exist on that very next tier. They're going to have to play low margin for error ball because they understand right now their identity does not include being able to sling the ball all over the place like Alabama. They've lost too much skill even this year at receiver. But they got a really good emerging tailback in Spiller, They've got a quarterback that hopefully you can trust down the stretch here to make good decisions. They've got disruptors up front defensively. they got plenty good enough offensive line to control games. And that is their identity. And they've stuck to it so far. It's still early. Looks like, though, they could be favored in every game remaining. Now, it's kind of become popular, I think, for a lot of people to say that. Uh, favored doesn't equal win. Favored just means you should win the game. Okay, a lot of folks should do stuff they shouldn't do. Tennessee allegedly should have beaten Kentucky last week. That's not the way that turned out. So this is a bye week for AM. That's one of the teams I am really excited to watch coming out of their bye. I called them one of the most intriguing teams in America this year, way back in the summer. And so they remain that way for me. You know what? I'm not going to go back and edit this. So I meant to say this at the beginning. I'll say it now. We're like, what, 15, 17 some odd minutes in. I spent the better portion of this entire evening, I'm recording at like 2 a.m., so several hours ago, and I was just doing one-on-one, hour-long Zoom sessions with a lot of our college and maybe high school and a little bit past college age listeners. We got a ton of them. I hear from you quite often. I love corresponding with you guys, Uh, but I do occasionally do some one-on-one consultations, especially with those of you who are looking to get into this line of work in some capacity whether it be sports media, whether it be writing, whether it be podcasting, whether it be what we do on the YouTube channel, or whether it be traditional TV, like whatever the case may be. Some of you want to get into coaching. I make myself as available as I possibly can for that. Man, had some really good conversations earlier this evening with some of you. I'm happy to just sit there and listen. You can bounce your ideas off of me. I'm happy to give feedback where I can. But it restores my faith in the future of not just this business, but just in general. You know the worst of everything is always put right in front of your face every single day, and it gives you this false sense of what the world is, and that's not reality at all. It's not reality in sports journalism, nor is it reality in politics, nor is it reality in any any walk of life. Twitter's not real life. Uh, Instagram, I hate to burst some of your bubbles, is not real life. And so, you know, sitting there one-on-one with another person, that's real life. And had a chance to do that earlier this evening. So, again, I put out this call to action from time to time. But if you guys are interested in that, I know a lot of you who aspire to be in this industry, you listen to the podcast, I hear from you a lot, just reach out to me. 
joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, and we can work on setting something up. It's really in-depth. It is uh, one-on-one, like I said. Do them about an hour long at a time, and it is really fun. I get probably as much, if not more, out of that than you guys do half the time. All right, we'll continue on here. Drew is next up. Drew had a couple of good ones here, so uh, well, he sent me like half a dozen, if I remember correctly. I picked two of them because, Drew, it would be unfair if I went deeper than that. So his first one is about a team I don't think we've talked about since we started the podcast. So no time like the present. Drew said, I see Vanderbilt and I can't help but shake my head. I'm not a fan of them, but even as a casual bystander, it's just hard to watch. Why is it that they're so bad? What did they do or what do they do to have to fix the train wreck? Well, what they would have to do is what they're not going to do, Drew, and that is invest a lot of money and a lot of years into making their program more in line with what you would expect an SEC football program to be. They're happy with that. But at the same time, I'm not happy with it because it erodes the overall product of what I think is the best football conference in America. A lot of what they put on the field is inexcusable. But again, they don't necessarily care about that. I have told you before, and I'll tell you again, for those of you who don't have access, you may not believe this, but I'm telling you it's true. The facilities at Vanderbilt, let's just take those for example. There are multiple, not just one or two, multiple high schools in the state of Texas with better football facilities than Vanderbilt has. And so because of that, well, that's one reason, just that one small reason is one of many reasons why you will never hear me entertain hot seat talk about a coach at Vanderbilt. I don't care who it is. Right now it's Derek Mason. Derek Mason could go winless until the end of time. You would never hear me even suggest that that guy's job should be in jeopardy. There's nothing invested in the program. If there was heavy investment, then it would be fair to expect a return on investment. There is no heavy investment there. So therefore, I don't expect any return out of Vanderbilt. Until further notice, I mean, they're just a penciled-in W on everyone's schedule who's fortunate enough to draw them in any given season in the SEC. (laughs) Sounds kind of cruel, but it's reality. Next up is also Drew. All right, Drew, second question here. He said, Arkansas has come out and opened some eyes with what you and I agree should be a 3 and one start. Yes, I will continue to beat that drum. So Drew says, how close are they to maybe not beating Alabama, but being a considerable threat to most teams in the country? They're still a good ways away, Drew. I don't want to take away from the start they've had right now. Um, I, I expect eventually that'll run out of gas this year, and I wouldn't care if I were an Arkansas fan. Like I've already seen enough to know this staff is worth fully buying into their approach, uh, this culture, this identity, if you will, all of this stuff. I'm all for it. It feels like Arkansas. Chad Morris never felt like Arkansas to me. Uh, Mike Leach is at Mississippi State right now. Mike Leach doesn't feel like Mississippi State to me, just to be honest with you. Um, But, you know, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss feels like a natural fit. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, that feels like a natural fit to me. I'd love it. If I were an Arkansas fan, I'd love it. They're not close to Alabama. They won't be close to Alabama unless something fundamentally changes about the structure of the SEC. But that's not what your immediate goal is at Arkansas. You don't look in the mirror and say, man, we should be competing with Alabama in two years. But what you can do is you could say, "Uh, why not us instead of Auburn? Why not us instead of Texas A&M? Why can't we be superior to South Carolina and Tennessee and Kentucky? Why not? What's stopping us? Other than us, what's stopping us? That should be the entire philosophy out there. And I'll tell you another thing that I am super fascinated to watch unfold, and that is Arkansas recruiting. Pittman gets it done in the world of recruiting. And 
not only does he get it done as an assistant coach, you had questions, okay, well, he's done it as an offensive line coach, but what's he going to be as a head coach? Like, are kids really going to buy into that? Yeah, they are. They are. I absolutely, firmly am convinced that they are. And it's not going to be a bunch of five-star kids. Like, maybe they'll maybe they'll land some of those. But I think what it's going to be is it's going to be a certain kind of player that probably doesn't have committable offers to Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. Like, you probably don't see the Arkansas hat being chosen over those hats on National Signing Day. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong there. But what I think you'll have is you'll have a lot of kids who were just below that tier. You know, Alabama liked that kid, but they can only take so many. Clemson liked that kid, but they can only take so many. That kid, instead of maybe going where they used to go, maybe now they filter up to Fayetteville. And by default, you just build this entire roster of kids who have that attitude of, I wasn't quite good enough for some of the teams on our schedule. But that's okay, because like I said, they're on our schedule. So I'll get my shot at them, and it's not one or two of those kids. It's like 50 or 60 of those kids. And by the very nature of what Arkansas recruiting will be, they will end up piling up kids who you need, the kind of characteristics they have inherent in them, that you need to win anyway and to spring upsets on folks and to be a surprise contender. That's what Arkansas's roster will just magically become to me. It won't be magic, but it'll appear to have happened out of nowhere. That is one of the most interesting subplots in the SEC as we approach this early signing day and then the upcoming recruiting cycle, the 2022 cycle. Several of you asked about Big Ten storylines, like basically what are some of the most interesting storylines that you're looking forward to there? We did Biggest Big Ten Questions, and that video is available on the YouTube channel. I'm also going to do a lot more Big Ten talk tonight as we sit here Thursday. So tonight, Thursday night, Late Kick Live, we're going to talk a lot more Big Ten. Uh, but just a couple of them. You know, I'm fascinated at what Penn State is this year offensively. Because like on defense, I think they allow themselves time to develop into whatever it is they're going to be. I'm kind of interested to see how these programs like Penn State, for example, had, did they benefit any from sitting back and waiting until this point in the season to start? Did it benefit, for instance, Sean Clifford to be able to talk more to Kirk Shiraka, to Zoom more with him or to meet more with him and to try and ingest mentally more of the playbook? Like your practice reps are what they are. It's not like you got 50 more practices than normal. Therefore, you didn't get a thousand more reps than normal. But I wonder if that little added month or so there, I wonder if that makes a difference relative to what they would have been had they come out of the gate with no spring, just on time, a normal start. And the other thing, I was kind of mentioning Michigan earlier, I feel the same way about their offense. Like I'm thinking about Joe Milton up there and I'm thinking about Josh Gaddis and I'm thinking about the questions about how deep they are at receiver. Like, do they have the perimeter speed? For that matter, on defense, do they have the defensive team speed to match... I say big boys. We know which big boy I'm talking about. Could they be competitive with Ohio State this year? That entire dynamic with Wisconsin and Minnesota is sort of being hyped up in Big Ten circles right now. And uh, I, I, I'm just kind of curious. Like, are are we being baited into thinking that's a two horse race there, and maybe someone else having something to say about that? So that's a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm very obviously excited that the Big Ten season is finally here. Now, it's been almost a week. What has it been? Uh, seven, six, five days since Alabama, Georgia. And there's still some bitterness and there's still some sourness. And I understand that. That was a big game. Uh, Georgia fans still have a lot of questions. So I'm going to kind of 
group a couple of them, really like 15 of them, but two notable questions into one. And let's just try and get this entire dynamic about their offense answered when we come back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So Matt has one of these Georgia questions. Midwest Dan Gator fan, yep, has another one. And Matt asked, how can you make sense of Jamie Newman opting out given what we have seen now? That's a good question, Matt. I think about it often. I thought about it as Georgia was struggling to move the ball in the second half offensively against Alabama, and I've just generally thought about it once we see the fact that Stetson Bennett, no disrespect, has ended up being the starter for this team. Let's go back and let's remember, Jamie Newman's official reason that he gave for opting out at Georgia was concerns about COVID. I don't have any definitive evidence that it was anything other than that. I know there's been a lot of speculation, including speculation from some people pretty close to the program, that there may have been more to that. But the point is, you and I can never really know. Like, I have my suspicions, too. I don't know. Um, I know that it was kind of in vogue for a week or so there to say, hey, maybe Dewan Mathis is the one that chased him off. Maybe Jamie Newman saw Dewan Mathis in practice. This was when it was kind of becoming obvious that Dewan Mathis was going to get the start against Arkansas. That lasted about 15 minutes. But I don't, in retrospect, I don't know that that was the case. And I don't think JT Daniels chased him off because, I mean, JT Daniels, we still haven't seen him play. Stetson Bennett didn't chase anyone off. The Georgia coaching staff was about two seconds from yanking his quarterback name tag to begin with. I don't know, man. I really, it remains a mystery. I think it's one of those deals where we'll learn through whispers and innuendo and whatnot in the offseason. When there's no more consequence to holding it back, I think that's when we'll know the question there. But what I'd love to know is, what is he thinking right now? Where is Jamie Newman, and what is he thinking right now watching Georgia? That's what I'd love to know. Second question was, do you think that Mathis, so Dewan Mathis, or JT Daniels should be getting the majority of the reps alongside Stetson Bennett moving forward? I think the answer here is JT Daniels. And that is, of course, with the caveat that he is healthy and ready to play, and I think he will be soon if he's not already I think the answer is JT Daniels. And granted, we only have one half or maybe like less than a half of a sample size from Dewan Mathis. Bottom line is, I don't think either of those guys, Mathis or Bennett, 
are getting you past Alabama. And at this point, like that's the goal for Georgia football. You're not looking to make it to the Capital One Bowl. That's not what this roster's been built for. That's not what you should be relying on that defense to do. Just deliver you to Orlando New Year's Day. No, man. You're trying to win the SEC. You're trying to go to the college football playoff and win a national championship. You're not doing it with Stetson Bennett. Again, all due respect. Love his story. You're not doing it with Dewan Mathis. And you may not do it with JT Daniels either, but I think Daniels, even understanding there's some unknown there, uh, the reward is much higher. The potential ceiling is much higher with him at quarterback. So, hey, man, that's who I'm leaning on. That's who I'm giving reps to if he's able to take them. Uh, Let's wrap it up with Matthew here. How good do you think the American Conference is compared to the Pac-12, which is widely considered the weakest Power 5 conference? Matthew, what a question you've delivered here, because I was talking about this with a buddy in the gym the other night, and I'm not so sure that the answer now is the same answer we'll have in five years. So right now, I would still lean Pac-12 being stronger than the AAC. In five years, I got to be honest with you, I don't think that'll be the answer. In five years, I think the quality of the Pac-12 will have continued to erode, and I think that the profile of the AAC will have continued to surge to the point where, hey, I think the AAC will have passed the Pac-12. I flat out believe that. I think that even though it was a very small sort of anecdotalish sample size, week one this year taught a lot of people a lesson that some people behind the scenes had been whispering about for a while. And that is these G5 level rosters that are in the South. In that case, it was Coastal Carolina or it was Louisiana. Uh, Who else ended up getting a win? Arkansas State, yeah, I clearly just paused so I could think. But remember, those three teams all went out and they got themselves wins over Power 5 competition. Now, that was the Big 12. But the point is, uh, you think the Sun Belt flexed? Imagine if I were to have sent mid-tier AAC teams into those buildings that day. Because they would have turned probably the same trick the Sun Belt did. And now, just replace Big 12 with Pac-12. I mean, that same result probably would have happened. And then you fast forward another five years and you have another five years worth of the perception changing and guys understanding, hey, I can stay right here. I can go play at Tulsa. I can go play at East Carolina. I can go play at Houston. I don't have to go and take power five offers that are a thousand miles from home when I can play in the G5 that's 30 minutes down the road from where I grew up here in the South, wherever I am. And I can still be on TV 10 to 12 times a year. The NFL will still find me here. The stuff that used to force you to take the Power 5 offer wherever you could get it doesn't exist anymore. That dynamic has changed. And so all things equal, a lot of those kids that are rated three stars that can't quite snag that high-level SEC or ACC offer, they just soon take the G5 offer as go to the West Coast and, and Corvallis, Oregon, for example, I mean, they'd just prefer to stay home. And for that reason, I think the AAC is rapidly ascending to the point where I think it will have surpassed the Pac-12. And this is not in a bubble, okay? The Pac-12 also has their own internal issues that I think will eventually be the downfall of the overall quality and profile of that conference. And also, if we're talking five years down the road, who knows what the overall structure of the sport and the overall structure of conferences will have done to maybe evolve by that point. 
All right, that was a really good morning of questions. I hope you guys are tuned in later tonight for Late Kick Live. I hope you have subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, if you haven't already. And the last request I always make is, well, two of them. Follow me on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, and also leave us a five-star review. We want to get to 1,000 before the end of the football season. It is a very ambitious goal, but I think we can do it. Tani believes in me. Jordan believes in me. Or they may be secretly doubting me behind my back. But... When they're front-facing, when we're talking, they say it's possible. So if they say it's possible, I believe it's possible. And until proven otherwise, I will just assume you think it's possible too. Get us to a 1,000 five-star reviews, and everyone gets a cookie. That statement, of course, not endorsed by 24-7 Sports. So for the aforementioned Tani and Jordan, whoever ends up producing this thing on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of the day. Looking forward to the games this weekend. Looking forward to Late Kick Live tonight. Until the next time you and I speak. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.